0: Okay, we're going to be in Psalm thirty-four. Psalm thirty-four. So I, I was telling Melina earlier, Psalm thirty-four has been wonderful to me this week. Um, it's been very applicable. I don't know if this has been your experience. Uh, I hope. That, I really hope that it has, because uh, I think that as Melina and I talked about uh, going through the Psalms, uh, that our our desire really was for, uh, for you to connect with the Psalms beyond a historical viewpoint, beyond a, a Bible study viewpoint. We don't want to just get into the Psalms and go, okay, this is what, this is what they say. Uh, we want to see how the Psalms give language in our lives right now. And, and that's one of the things that I think is so wonderful about the Psalms is uh, they give language to uh, to prayer, uh, and the psalms are pretty honest. Have you noticed that they're pretty honest? Have you read them? Okay. <laughs> so, they're, have you done your homework? Uh, they're pretty honest, and uh, and I think it. What I love about it is that because sometimes I don't know about you, but sometimes when I pray, I get in my head, my own head about prayer, and I, I kind of like can tense up a little bit and. Okay, this is how you're supposed to pray. And this language comes out of me that doesn't come out in, not like bad language, but uh, <laughs> uh, that was a missed joke. So uh, it just gets more rigid. I get more boxed in and it's like, I don't know. I, I, I just am not uh, as, as free sometimes in prayer the, the way that I would maybe talk to my wife. You know, there's the language flows there in a different way. And sometimes I get before God and it becomes this rigid thing. And the Psalms give us permission to really kind of cut all that out, don't they? They kind of give us permission to come to God with whatever it is uh, that, that we are feeling or thinking in the moment. Uh, it doesn't back God down. Um, sometimes there's rebuke in that. Sometimes there's correction. Oftentimes there's correction. But I love the permission that we're given to be ourselves and to be human before God, and I—I I, I discovered that certainly in my preparation and uh, reading Psalm 34, and I hope that that's been your experience. Um, I, I heard a guy say, uh, I think it was uh, Timothy Keller uh, said that you ought to pray a—you need to be praying a psalm, uh, praying in the Psalms every day, and you need to seek to uh, pray from the perspective of the Psalms uh, that you're that you're reading, uh, because. The Psalms give language to just about every human experience and emotion uh, and, and question before God. And so to pray along with the Psalms is, is, to, uh, is to give that expression before God and to find that within ourselves. And so it's a good habit to pray the Psalms. Okay, so Psalm 34. That's my intro. You guys got any fun stories to tell or are we... Nobody? Anything exciting? Jason's in the house. That's exciting. Hey, man, good to see you. This is a big, aw, this is Dallas's last day. Uh, I know, that's what I said. No! (laughs) So, So that's sad. But somebody, something happy, something exciting. Give me something from your week. Oh, calling people out. Somebody, share some exciting news, brief. Oh come on. Averly's birthday is Friday. Averly's birthday is Friday and she's five. Wow. I just past the <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sarah cool. Town. Sarah Tinsley's in the house. That's right. We got some cool people in the house today. Y'all are all cool. But there's some special cool people in here today. <laughs> all right, good. Those are good things. Those are good things. All right, Psalm 34. Are you there yet? I've bantered long enough for you to be there. Okay, I'm going to give you a quick history of Psalm 34, and then we're. Now, I'll I'll just confess, Psalm 34 is too much for one week uh, to go and and break everything down. So, the parts that are vague are going to be intentionally vague. I know that I'm not giving much in certain areas here, but it's because I want to place emphasis uh, in in other areas. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about your discussion of this tomorrow, uh, in in your summer small groups, because uh, I think there's some good questions in there. Okay, let's just read the whole psalm. Is that good? That just will get us all in and ready. Jeremy, will you read it for us since it's not your birthday? Go ahead. Oh, however you, yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. Okay, so the context of this psalm is believed to have been, been uh, written either in reflection of, of what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 21 uh, or, or even in, in the midst of it. But basically, there's a, a huge turning point uh, for David. Saul turns on him, and Saul has determined that he is going to rid himself of this problem that is David. Of course, David and Jonathan are, are close brothers and friends. Jonathan tells David of what's going on. Saul is going to pursue him to kill him, and David begins to flee. So he's kind of, he, he flees. He's got this, this group of—the uh, Bible's not real clear on exactly who these people are, but he's got kind of this—what uh, uh, would be the word? Kind of a scraggler band uh, of people with him. kind of outlaws in a sense is what what these people have become because of uh because Saul has has determined that David is against him and and Saul is going to kill him and so those who are with with David it's a small group they flee he goes to uh he goes to excuse me to Ahimelech uh the priest and is on the run and basically says do you have food and weapons he's going to the priest for food and weapons I'm not sure the thought process here but uh he ends up the priest all they have is the showbread the temple showbread which is like holy and sacred and he kind of goes um if you feel like you guys are sanctified and purified to eat this i guess this is what you can what you can take david's like sure i'll take whatever i mean eats it all sorts of violation uh, to the lord in this and then he says and do you have a weapon and the guys like well all I've got is this sword that you killed Goliath with. Uh, that's that's been here, so you can take that. David goes, I know that's a good sword. I'll take it. <laughs> right? If you remember the story, he's uh, he takes Goliath's sword and cuts his head off with it, uh, and and then that sword was put on display as a, as a uh, testimony to the people of the, the victory that the Lord had won. So he gives him the sword, and then he he runs uh, again, and we don't really know what happens with him and and this this group of people except for that they have this idea that they'll flee to the king of gath now do you does gath remind you of anything who's from gath come on i just told you there it is (laughs) there it is so this is a great place to hide out right So he's going to go and just try to blend in because Saul's not going there, right? So he's going to go and try to try to blend in and they recognize him and they go, I don't know how that works. Like there's no social media, so I don't know how that works, but they recognize him and they go, maybe he's carrying around Goliath's sword. You know, it's like, Hey bro, we know who, you know, I, I don't know, but they recognize him and they go, you're David. You're the one that they've said, Saul's killed his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands. And they go, we're going to tell the king about you being here, right? Because you're not supposed, you're a threat. So they go and they bring David to the king and David's only, and it's brilliant. He just starts literally acting like a crazy person. The Bible says that he he has drool uh, uh, coming from his beard as he's before the king. And it works. The king goes, I got enough crazy people here then I don't need to deal with this guy. That's not who you said it was. Get him out of here. It worked. So they kick him out. And now, and, and it seems like now more people are accruing uh, with David. Again, the number, we don't really get all of the numbers and what this really looks like. But he goes and, and he's, now he's hiding out in the cave. Okay. So and we need to think about the mentality that would have to be present with David. First of all, what is he anointed to be? The king. And think about what he's—he's he's now been betrayed um, by Saul. He's on the run from the place that he loves the most, his own people, and he has essentially told his best friend, "See you later. I'm never, never gonna see you again because you—you know, you, I'm gonna die." Uh, that relationship is over. He's running in shame. He's dishonored the Lord in his actions uh, in in the temple, and he's stooped totally low to act like this crazy person in order to not be killed in a place he was trying to hide out in in the first place. Now he's in a cave. Okay, the mentality there is pretty dark, pretty broken. Like he's he's in a tough tough place. And all he's got around him is people that are just this outlaw band of people. Okay. That's where we believe that this, again, that this Psalm was penned either uh, in reflection of those days or in the midst of those days. You really need to understand that in order to, uh, in order to get the language here. So let's talk about the structure of the Psalm. The structure of the psalm is it's broken down into really two parts. The first 10 verses are a hymn. So if, you, if you'll read just in the first 10 verses, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's in the context of a hymn. Verse 11 through 22, so the back half of the psalm is a sermon. Right? I think maybe this is where we got our church model. Hymn, sermon, hit. I'm just kidding. Come on, y'all laugh a little bit this <laughs> Okay, so first half is a hymn. And then I say it's a sermon because he's going to turn the direction is he's going to say, come, O children, in verse 11, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So he begins to direct. He begins to teach. That's why we call it a sermon. Here's what's really cool about this song that we won't see if we just read this in English, that this is an acrostic. And what that means is that every uh, verse in this psalm begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So as I read, I just thought that's the coolest thing in the world. There's a, there's a few psalms that work that way. This is one of them, and what I think is so cool about that is think about what, what are letters? If you just if you just put a through z on the board, we were to talk about okay, what what is a letter? What does a letter do? What do we make out of letters? We make words. Okay, what else do letters give us? You ever taught a kid to read? Sounds. Yeah. We, we attach sound and, and letters. So words come from the building of uh, uh, the putting together of, of letters to create a sound that is a word. So letters are, in a sense, they are the foundation, the building block of all language. Here's what's, here's what's really, I think, so beautiful about the acrostic uh, angle of this psalm is that every letter, there is not a single letter that is left out. Every letter is in praise of the Lord. And if every letter is in praise of the Lord, what it tells us, what it shows us is that all language, all all of creation can participate in the praising of the Lord. And so he's going to go through, and without exception, he's going to say everything that builds speech, that gives voice, can praise the Lord. Now, I don't know what Melina's decided to do with this, uh, but I think you're going to have a little experiment uh, tomorrow night uh, w- with that. But I just, I think that's a really beautiful thing that we don't see if we just read this in English, but that's true if we see it in the Hebrew. So every uh, verse begins with a successive letter. I'm not going to preach this or read this in Hebrew uh, as if I could, uh, but uh, but I wanted you to know that. All right, so let's get into it. I'm going to create more emphasis on the hymn portion, and uh, and, and that'll be where we'll mostly be this morning, but we are going to get into the sermon a little bit. Okay, so verse 1. Let me just read verse 1 through 10. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. a fearful place for David, and he says, "I will bless the Lord at when all times. His praise will what's the word continually. continually be in my mouth. Why does that matter at a time like this? What what do you see in the very in the very first two words of this psalm? What are the first two words? I will." Now, what follows the I will is bless the Lord. And not just bless the Lord one time, not just I will go to church on Sunday and sing the three songs and right. I will bless the Lord and his praise will continually be in my mouth. Why is the I will important? Because what we see after the I will is is constant praise to the Lord, isn't it? continual praise all of my life all of my being will pour out my praise to the lord why does the i will matter we're going to talk today yeah who does it involve when you say i will you because you will if you get up and say i will go to canes for lunch what are you doing you are determining yourself to a set of actions or to a set of fried chicken. You're going, right? The words I will are, are self-determined direction and action. You see that? Praise of the Lord does not happen absent I will. You with me? Come on, we got to get this. We don't accidentally wake up and praise the Lord. Let me just tell you, your flesh will not accidentally praise the Lord. You will not wake up one day and accidentally be selfless and go, you know what? I'm going to pour my life out before the Lord. And it's just going to happen by accident. All worship of the Lord has to take place with an I will. That's how God created mankind. We were created with a will. I'm going to show you this in just a minute. And you all know it because it's body, soul, spirit. We've been here before. But it requires self-determined action. I will bless the Lord. When? At all times. And when will his praise be in my mouth? Continually. The book of Proverbs tells us that life. You guys know this. I talk about this one all the time. Life and death are where? In the power of the Tongue. Now that's a really interesting uh, passage. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And here's what David says. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And we just talked about letters as the building block of, of language right he's he's giving this in every angle you can imagine he's showing us that all things praise the lord all of language praises the lord in my mouth there will be continual praise of the lord life and death and the power of the tongue i will choose life and to choose life is to choose to praise the lord continually but it has to have an i will yeah i was talking fast y'all with me okay yeah Yeah, I would say both. Feels like a lot of both. Especially when we take the context into it. Do you ever get in those moments where you need an I will statement out loud? Because <laughs> everything's in you is going, I won't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think it's both. He's not looking back and going, I have always blessed the Lord. Right. <laughs> He's in a cave with a band of outlaws, with absolutely no direction, his life being sought after, and he's clinging to whatever hope is left. And I can't imagine what that would be. What would he give language to his hope except the Lord? And he's saying, I will bless the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I think that's more what this is. Good. Okay. But it's wonderful to find that as we bless the Lord, his praise continually in our mouth, that's life, as the Scripture says. Okay, verse 2. It says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Man, if I see soul, spirit, or body in the scriptures, you better believe I'm stopping. Because <laughs> we got to know what it means. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Okay, my soul. So we got to talk about soul boasting. So maybe that's the title of this message, soul boasting. I don't know, whatever y'all think. He says, and it's important that we understand that this comes right after the I will, okay? There's self-determined direction to the praise of the Lord. And then he's going to say, my soul uh, makes its boast in the Lord. Now, and then he follows it and he says, and let the humble hear and be glad. So we're going to wonder why would the humble be glad about this statement? Uh, of soul boasting in the Lord. Why would that bring rejoicing to the humble? But we got to figure out what soul boasting is. Okay, what's the soul? Glad you asked, Kendall. <laughs> it's right behind you, right? You guys are on it this morning. I can't outsmart you. Okay. <laughs> Here's the soul. So we know, I'm just a quick overview. We know this is the three parts of man our physical body, our soul is our mind, will, and emotions, and our spirit, the spirit of man. And the scripture tells us that no one knows the thoughts of man but the spirit of man. It's in him, and no one knows the thoughts of God but the spirit of God. So when I have uh, spirit here, I'm talking about the spirit of man. This is the innermost part of us. This is our spiritual nature. This is where the spirit of God dwells in us at the point of salvation. This is where that relationship takes place. Okay? Good. You all have body, soul, spirit. Okay. It's important that we understand our mind, will, and emotions. What did I just say? That God, uh, that I will statement, where's that? This is fancy. I haven't had this one before. Okay. That I will statement, where's that? Where are those words coming out? There it is. (laughs) Not a trick question, okay? (laughs) Right? You see these two things working together? But will praise of the Lord come out of my mouth absent an I will? No. It takes self-determined action. I will... Boast in the Lord, okay? And then that will changes our mind, and, it'll, and then it comes out in our physical body. All obedience is played out right here. But nothing happens absent this being changed, and this can't change absent submission here. Got it? Okay. So what does soul boasting look like? What does that mean? My soul will boast in the Lord. What's he talking about? This area right here. Now, let's let's just play a little game. Let's take this away. Let's take the influence of the Holy Spirit away from our soul. What that means is the church answers aren't going to be right here. Okay, don't be giving me your church answers. All right. If left on its own, where would your soul boast? Why? It's all it knows. It's all it knows. Your soul, apart from the Spirit of God, is totally and completely self-motivated. If left apart from the Spirit of God, from a a divine being giving direction, you will look out for you. Period. Okay? So he says, my soul will, what's the word, boast in the Lord and let the humble hear and be glad. So why humility? Why humility? Why would that bring rejoicing to the humble? These are none of the questions that you'll answer tomorrow, so you can fire away with all your best answers right now. Why would that? Why would the humble say, "As my soul boasts in the Lord"? The humble will hear it and be glad. Why? Say it louder. About and about it. Which takes what? It can't happen absent humility, right? If I remove humility from the equation, what am I going to be left with? Me. And where will my boast be? In me. Right? I will think, feel, and choose according to what is best for me. But the humble here, that I will make my boast and be glad, because if I'm humble, what it says is that I'm going to submit to the Lord. In humility, I'm going to recognize that there's a power greater than myself that can determine my action, and it is my joy to submit to that power, the Holy Spirit. You with me? And so it's rejoicing for us. This is counter to human reasoning. It's rejoicing to us to lay ourselves down and trust in the Lord because then our soul boasts Not in ourselves, but in the Lord. And that's how God has designed us to gain true satisfaction. Is not in ourselves. We were never meant to be satisfied by ourselves, but but when we are being used as a tool to boast in the Lord. And so the humble hear it and go, yes, ask me again to die to myself. Because I know that that's the key to life and fullness. So the humble hear it and are glad. You with me? Now, think about David. We just said a minute ago, the I will bless the Lord at all times is kind of one of these, I will, I will, I will, you know. What's he requiring of himself in this this passage? My soul will make its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. And then listen to verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Think about where he's saying that from. From Complete darkness and shame. And he's realizing that submission to the Lord, even in where he is, allows his soul to boast in the Lord and can be for him, even in this moment, rejoicing. And then he says to us, then he begins to speak to congregation, and he says, come and magnify the Lord with me in this way. He doesn't start with magnify the Lord with me. He starts by showing us the way that even in this darkness, right, I will bless the Lord continually at all times. The humble will submit. Right? My soul will boast in the Lord. The humble will be glad. Come in that way and magnify the Lord with me. That's the key. That's how we as congregation, as people, magnify the Lord. Is as a collective group, We submit individual souls to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. When we approach God in humility and allow him to have his way in us, then we magnify the Lord. My uh, in-laws were in town. And my father-in-law sometimes, and I hope he doesn't listen to my podcast, uh, but sometimes he scares me to death. Because YouTube is dangerous. Let me just tell you, YouTube is a dangerous place. You never know what's going to pop up on that YouTube screen. And he, he wants to show the kids like cool videos. And sometimes he jumps on that YouTube, and I'm like, dude, the YouTube, you know, careful, man. (laughs) And he wanted to show this video of, uh, uh, you know, it's Fourth of July. How many of you uh, blew things up on the Fourth of July? Okay, that's what you do. It's American, right? (laughs) Right. And he saw this video of these guys that put together uh, hundred thousand sparklers. <sighs> we the kids love sparklers. We buy these like six foot sparklers, and it's hilarious watching our kids. I mean, it just look it's so funny because the sparkler is twice the size of our kids. They're just running around with fire, you know. It's <laughs> it's it's, it's, a, it's amazing. So they love sparklers, right? So he catches on to this. And he's like, "Oh, you got to see this video." He's way cool, by the way. I love my father. Uh, anyway, so we watched this video. These guys put together 100,000 sparklers, and it's like one sparkler is like, Duh, you know, it's cool, but you can kind of stick your hand in it. It doesn't hurt, you know. 100,000 sparklers is like could set a rocket off, you know. It's like they, When it all gets together and they all start burning together, the magnification of what one does is unreal, and it's the same principle. Now, look, I'm not offering my uh, advice for you to go search in YouTube. I don't know what those people say in the video. We have all that muted. They're probably, you know, who knows what. So don't be going, well, the pastor told me to watch this video, and there's all this language. In it. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, listen to me. The, the magnification that occurs when all of those are burning together is way more than they could do, even if they were all lit separately. You see? If they were all lit separately and spread out throughout the room, the light would not be near as bright. But this, is what, this is the concept. When he invites congregation in to magnify the Lord with him, the brilliance of the light is so much more than what would happen if we in our isolated places all just said, my soul will boast in the Lord. He invites congregation. He invites us, We to collectively submit to the Lord, to collectively lay down our soul to the Lord, and then that magnification is brilliant. And it's more than it could ever be on our own. So his invitation is an invitation for us, across generations, for us to magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. Okay. That's good there. Y'all satisfied there? All right, good. The next uh, few verses, I want to go verse 4 through verse 10. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. Look at verse 5. This is really telling of where he is. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces will never be, what's the word? Ashamed. Ashamed. Does it give you a bit of a hint of where he's at? Do you see, you know, there's there's a little a little window into where David really, really is says that those who look to the Lord will never be, their faces are radiant and their faces, uh, will never be ashamed. And listen to what he calls himself. Verse six, he makes it very personal to himself. He says, this, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. In verse eight, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. One of the things I want you to see here, we're not going to spend tons of time in these verses, but one of the things I want you to see here, is I want you to see the dignity that seeking the Lord brings. David was left with no dignity on the earth. He was at the lowest of the low in terms of any kind of social perception. This is a king, a king. And he's just slobbered all over himself to try to get out of trouble, right? And we kind of laugh at that. We go, that's a crazy story. But can can you imagine the mentality of a guy that has... Royalty. And we don't track that very well because we don't operate that way, but this is a sovereign. <laughs> this is a guy that has said, You will lead all of Israel. And he's just again gone in desperation in the temple of the Lord, fleeing for his life, drooled all over himself, now hiding in a cave. There is no dignity left for him, right? We wouldn't read that story and go, Man, that's a that's a dignified dude. <laughs> We wouldn't read that story and go, man, he's probably really waking up in the morning with his head held high, right? He's in a place of total brokenness, total shame. And what does he do? He finds his dignity. And where does he find it? In the Lord. He finds it in the Lord. We can get here all sorts of ways. Uh, there's a lot of vehicles to, to this place of being ashamed, right? Would you agree? Uh, shame can happen as a result of your own actions, mistakes that maybe you've made. Shame can happen as a result of maybe the actions of others towards you. Uh, shame can be in, in, our, in our failures. Shame can, shame can happen in all sorts of ways. We can get to this place of shame. There's lots of vehicles to shame. But there's there's one place where we will never lose our dignity. We will never lose our worth and our value. We will never come into this presence and be ashamed. And David has found that place. And he makes this statement that those who look to him now think about where he is, and he says that those who look to him, what will their faces be? Radiant. You ever seen a face that's radiant because of the Lord? You know, like people I'm talking about, they would have every reason to be shamed, have every reason to maybe hang their head, have had every circumstance or issue or whatever, and, and that could be their countenance. Yet there's a radiance that you can't explain. I've known a few of those. And he says that those who look to him, their faces will be radiant and they will never be ashamed. Because the Lord's never going to come and shame you. (laughs) Never. The Lord's never going to come and in his presence, he's never going to say, see, I told you you shouldn't have been that stupid. (laughs) I told you you shouldn't have made that decision because he's a perfect and good father. In him there is no shame. He's in one place that at our lowest of low on the earth, regardless of whether the perspective is over my life and my circumstances, when I come to him, I have dignity. I can stand before God with dignity. I can stand before the one who created me and know that he sees me of for who I am and loves me because of who he is. And that there is nothing that I can do that would bring the Lord into the shame party over my life. And so in this deepest place of despair, David says that I have dignity in the Lord. That even in a cave and fleeing and hiding, that when I look to him, my face is radiant. And those who come to him will never, never be ashamed. And here's why. He says, This poor man cried, the Lord heard him. He saved him from all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Listen to verse 8. I love this. Think about the imagery here. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is what? Good. Why am I never ashamed? Because the Lord is good. But what does he ask us to do? How do we find out about God's goodness? Taste. Melina's pay attention, y'all. You better be fast or you're gonna beat her. Taste and see. What is tasting? Let me tell you about my favorite place in the world. My favorite place to taste. Cooper's Barbecue in Lano, Texas. Has anybody ever been there? Oh, thank you. See? They've tasted and seen that the barbecue is good. <laughs> It's the greatest place on the planet. I'll drive a long way out of the way to go there. Okay. My grandpa, when I was a kid, i got to keep telling the story. My grandpa, when I was a kid, would bring, they lived in Austin. When they would come see us in Midland, the desert, West Texas, Ah, you know, we needed hope there, and they would bring from the hill country this beacon of hope called Cooper's Barbecue. Every time they would come, they would bring us uh, barbecue, so I fell in love as a kid, and uh, I try to go multiple times a year. So... What is tasting to see goodness involve? Okay. Now I'm not going to, I know it's, I'm going to make you hungry. Uh, But what does it involve? It involves something that's outside of you, doesn't it? So it's an exterior thing. If I'm going to taste and see that the ribs are good, and I want to tell you that they're good. I have to, the ribs are out here. Right? Tasting involves me doing what? Come on, this is Simple. What's eating? (laughs) Put it in your mouth, chew it, swallow. You guys broken today? (laughs) (laughs) Right? It involves me taking something that's out here, taking it into myself and savoring it. Right? David's invitation... Is for us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, what is that? What picture does that draw? What does that, what does that mean to us? That The goodness of the Lord is not going to be experienced as an exterior thing. Right? I won't know the depth of the goodness of God if all I know is about the goodness of God. Because to know about the goodness of God is to know about God out here. You with me? It's to look at the ribs and go, man, that looks good. And I read in this book that God is good. And it's the same as the ribs on the plate. Y'all tracking? Are you able to get through the rib analogy? Okay. To just know that they're good is not to have taken them in. David says, look, the goodness of God is found As you taste and see. It requires what's out here to come into my being. For me to savor it. For me to know it deep in here. And for us to know and be acquainted with the person of God. The goodness of God. It's going to require this in here taking him in. It's going to require us going, okay, this is what I read. Now bring it in. Receive it in my mind. (laughs) Receive it in the spirit of man. Whereas God reveals truth, taste and see. How do we know that God is good? Except for by the spirit of God. Taste it. (laughs) Savor it in every part of your being. The truth that the spirit of God reveals about who God is to you. And guess what? The result of of receiving the truth of God and bringing it in is always going to be that it's good. Because God is good. We, we say that all the time. But my concern is that there's a lot of believers, there's a lot of churchgoers that know that God is good but have not tasted and seen. And tasting and seeing is the difference. Radiance comes from tasting and seeing. That's what David's saying. I can't just... It's not going to work if I just tell you about this dignity that I received in this lowest place and I know that in this low place that God will receive me. That's one thing. That's knowing. But in this lowest place, when I cry out to him and he does answer me. What is David speaking of? Experience. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He knows it. Why? Because he's tasted it. And notice his invitation is not for you to know and believe that the Lord is good. Did you see that's not his invitation to you? He didn't ask you to know and believe. We're asking people a lot of times to know and believe. As we minister to people, we're asking them, know and believe. God is good. God is good. God is good. David's invitation is not to know and believe. David's invitation is to taste and see, and that's a totally different experience. To taste and see, it's relational. To taste and see, it takes taking something from the exterior and it t- taking over every fiber of your being. Right, Y'all tracking? Does that make sense? I'm so ridiculously ready for Cooper's now. I shouldn't have done it. I'm driving today. No, I'm not. So the close of this hymn is that those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Do you believe that? Because you've tasted and seen it? He's saying that in the moment that he's in, he lacks no good thing. Come on, how many of us complain about what we lack in far better circumstances? Watch out. Guilty. I'm whining all the time and I'm not in a cave hiding out. And David from that place is saying, there is no lack of any good thing even here right okay (sighs) okay now to the sermon not mine David's that Kendall he is funny (laughs) y'all weren't thinking that no Okay, verse 12. No, verse 11. So this is what I I was telling you. This is the transition. So now he's going to bring an invitation for some teaching. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. I think that's interesting that the fear of the Lord is taught. I think we could spend a lot of time there. We're not going to. I think we could spend a lot of time there. The teaching of the fear of the Lord. Because there's humility in that. There's respect and honor in that. Anyway, there's a lot there. <clears throat> he says in verse 12, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Any of you qualify? <coughs> want any of those things? You're like, oh, gosh, I read, read it again, read it again. Do I want Better be careful in church raising your hand, man. You don't know. You're either receiving blessing or you're like I'm a sinner, and it, you, you better be know why you're raising your hand. Just kidding, that was another joke. Okay, <laughs> y'all are falling off the joke bandwagon. <laughs> Look at the list. Who desires life, loves many days, and that you may see good. I'm in for that. Anybody else? Okay. Whew. So he's going to tell us what what that looks like then do this. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Because what are our lips meant for? What is language meant for? Yeah, you see it? All the way back to verse one. Keep is an I will statement, isn't it? Keep your tongue from is an I will statement. I will bless the Lord and I will keep my tongue from evil. You're involved in this thing. Have you picked that up yet? Your will matters in blessing the Lord or speaking evil. Okay? Also, turn away from. Again, your action. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's it. If you want the, that list, life, many days, and see good, that's the list. I think that's pretty simple whole lot simpler than what I've heard on, uh, in our culture, right? Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Those are the things that we ought to be after. And here it is. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ears towards their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles the lord is near again can you see a window into his soul here the when the righteous cry for help the lord delivers uh, sorry the lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles the lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit many are the afflictions of the righteous but the lord delivers him out of them all he keeps all his bones not one of them is broken Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants. None of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Okay, I'm going to just give you the, the outline here because I, I need to close. But verse 13 and 14 are talking about our will. We It takes our action. We have to participate in sanctification. The the trap that i think that we fall into is we read those words keep your tongue from evil your lips from de- deceit turn away from evil and do good and we 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 want to do that those things and we think that we are to both will them and do them and that's not the case the scripture is clear that we must will these things i have to choose to humble myself before the lord i have to choose i have to make these self-determined steps of worship but it is not by my power and my strength that god is actually worshiped the doing is not mine the choosing is the doing is his that's how god works in partnership with us that to turn away from evil i do not have the strength kindle by himself does not have the strength to resist evil who do i need The Spirit of God. So I cannot both say, I'm going to resist. If this pole is evil, I can't just resist evil. I want to do that. And also in my own strength, turn away from it. I have to say, I have to agree with God to resist evil. And in my agreement and choosing to partner the Spirit of God is what gives me the strength and the power in order to actually do the resisting. If I trust myself, this is what gets confusing. We say, but I wanted to do good. I wanted to resist evil. But who did you trust to do it? And if you trusted yourself, you will fail in both of those things. If it's not the strength and the power of God moving in and through you, which is the promised blessing of God that he would fill us and live through us, then all the amount of want to to do good and to resist evil won't do us a lick of good. Because we won't be relying on the only power that can actually do it. Christ is the only one who is sinless. He's the only one who resisted evil, but he lives in you. He wants for you to say, I will turn away from evil. My lips will only praise the Lord. But it's the power of the Spirit that allows that to even happen. So you're involved, but don't leave him out. Okay? It matters that you agree that I need to do good. But the doing of good comes as we, what did Jesus tell us? Abide, because apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Y'all tracking? So that's 13 and 14. Uh, I think 15 through 21 is a uh, pleading for steadfastness, even in dark days. You can track that on your own. You can read through that on your own or or in your groups. But it's, it's... a saying, don't be weary even in dark days. The Lord is with you. The Lord is present. The Lord hears you, right? It's, it's an imploring for steadfastness. And then verse 22 is a closing uh, with the redemption uh, of the Lord. That if to take refuge in him, and remember where David is, even in our darkest days, will not leave you open and vulnerable. It feels that way doesn't it? If you've been there in that place, in that David place, that depth of darkness, trusting the Lord can feel like vulnerability. But it's not. And his urging is, listen to those words at the end, none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. Won't happen. The Lord will never fail you. Okay, so that's the close. Uh, I was going to have you listen to a song, but uh, I yammered too long. So there's a song you could look up. It's called Psalm 34. Uh, I was going to have you listen to it by uh, Shane and Shane. Uh, They just sing the psalm. It's a really neat, neat way to ingest the psalm. So uh, let me pray for you. God, uh, would you help us? Really, just the thing that's on my heart to pray for just for all of us. is just that that congregational uh, thrust in Psalm 34. That we would just agree with this, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. The image of that bright burning light when we together have relented our will to Yours. We have said, I will praise You continually. That bright light, I just pray that You would bring Uh, here that you would bring in your church Uh, and we we ask this uh, for us for our city for for believers worldwide that you would bring unity and that we together would magnify the lord and exalt your name together in jesus name amen